0: I'm Chad Robertson. and I want to welcome you today to Awakened to Grace, as we are in a great study called The Pursuit. Today, we are talking about pursuing the presence of God. You know, David knew what the presence of God was like, and he wrote in Psalm 16, verse 11, he said, the presence of God, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Today, we are going to talk about what joy can bring into your life, why Satan doesn't want you to be a person filled with joy. Therefore, he'll try to keep you from the presence of God in your daily life. We are going to explore all of Psalm 16, and I know it's going to speak into your life as it has into my life. Have you ever visited my website? I want to encourage you to do that now. You can go to awakenedtograce.com. You can read my full story how I went blind at the age of 38, and how God has helped me and blessed my family, and blessed my church, and blessed my ministry awakened to grace through this time of blindness. You can also visit my store. There you can find music. You can find sermons and books I have written. So many things there. But most important, our website is designed for spiritual growth. Oh, friends, you can grow in your faith. Your faith can deepen with the content that we create at Awakened to Grace. So today we're in Psalm chapter 16, we're talking about the pursuit of God's blessing in our daily lives. We talked last week out of Philippians chapter 3 about the pursuit of spiritual maturity. Today, I want to talk in this week to the pursuit of God's presence. I want you to look, especially with me, at verse 11. I'm going to begin there as our premise. This is the foundation of everything we're talking about today. But once we discuss verse 11, I'm going to backtrack, and then we're going to go through the other 10 verses. Because they are stunning, the way that they stack on top of each other, and the way it all fits together. David wrote that it is in the presence of God that there is fullness of joy. I love that phrase. I want to talk today about what it means to pursue the presence of God. I want to talk practically today about what does it mean to be in the presence of God? What does it mean to desire the presence of God? What does it mean to go after God's presence? Because I'll tell you right now why Satan does not want you in the presence of God. Because do you know what's in the presence of God? Fullness of joy. And let me tell you where Satan wants to keep you from. He wants to keep you from the joy of the Lord because he knows the joy of the Lord is our what? Our strength. Amen. And he'd rather you be this weak and this anemic and this unhealthy Christian that you can't hardly even raise a hand up to the Lord. You can't even take one step forward. You can't stand in faith. You can't pray in faith. You can't do spiritual warfare. Why? Because you're weak. That's where he wants you to be. But no, you let the joy of the Lord fill your life. You get into the presence of God. And I'm telling you, nothing that Satan brings into your life is going to be able to defeat you or keep you down. Amen? Amen. Does Scripture not say we are more than overcomers through Christ Jesus our Lord? I'm telling you, I want to live in a realm of victory. I want to live in a realm of miracles. I want to live where God doing all this crazy stuff. Listen, I just want it to be part of everyday life. Amen. That's the realm I want to be in. I'm telling many of the things that we see the Lord do, it wouldn't even make a sentence in the book of Acts. You know why? Because those people lived in the power. Those people lived in the presence of God. Amen. And yet we settle for so much less. Is that right or wrong? I don't want to settle. I want to go hard after the presence of the Lord. I want to know what David meant when he said, As the deer longs, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs after God. I want to know that. I want to experience that. I want that part of my daily life. The presence of God. In his presence, there is fullness of what? Joy. He said, you have shown me the path of life. You've taught this to me. Psalm 25, verse 4, you should note that. That's a great prayer for you to pray daily. You know, we're going to be promoting this. I'm calling it morning's. Morning pursuits. Morning pursuits. How do you pursue God in the morning? Let me tell you a great prayer that you ought to pray every single morning. Psalm 25 verse 4. David said, show me your ways. Oh God, make me to know your ways. Oh God, and teach me your paths. Oh, let me tell you, if there's a path I want to be on, it's God's path. We can either go the path of sin or we can go the path of righteousness. I want to be on the path of righteousness. I want the path of life in my life. Why? Because what's on that path of life? The presence of God. Where there is fullness of joy. And then he said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where I'm going to end today. But to really understand that great phrase. At your, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now let's backtrack. Let's begin in verse 1. And let's understand this great psalm by King David. Verse number 1. David says... He takes refuge in God and God alone. What are you taking refuge in today? What, In other words... Where's your security? He's saying, keep me safe, oh God. Preserve me, oh God. Because it's in you that I take refuge. You know, often, especially in our culture, we take refuge in everything except the Lord Jesus Christ. We try everything except the Lord. And you know what so many do in this culture? They treat God like he's a spare tire. Oh, they're glad he's there. They just hope it doesn't come down to it. Is that what your prayer life could feel like? Is that you're glad that you can pray, you just hope it don't come down to where you do have to pray? No, I don't want to treat God that way. I want God to be the first thing I run to, not the last thing. Amen. And David said, this is his prayer. He says, preserve me, O God, because it's in you that I take refuge. David wrote, it's, it's the righteous Uh, The the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into him and are safe. Do you view the Lord that way in your life? Is he the first person you go to, not the last? What a great lesson for the Lord to teach many of us. To go to God first. David said, it's in you, O God, that I take refuge. Then he says something interesting in verse 2. If you're going to take notes, I want you to note this. Verses 1 and 2 shows the relationship that David had with the Lord. This was a vertical relationship. And look what he says. He says, I will say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good. I will say of the Lord, you are my Lord. What's he saying? Why is that so redundant? Well, you have to understand in Hebrew what he's saying. When he says in verse 1, Preserve me, O God. The Hebrew there is El, which is the strong one. When he says in verse 2, he uses the word Lord twice, but they're not the same Hebrew word. It's translated in our English Bibles as the same, but in the original Hebrew, it's two separate words. The word Lord that is first used, I will say of the Lord, I will say to the Lord, that is Yahweh, And you remember where the name Yahweh comes from. (coughs) Moses says, who shall I tell Pharaoh who sent me? And what did the Lord God Almighty say? Tell him, I am that I am. Yahweh is the personal name revealed by God. But the second Lord here is not Yahweh in the original. It's Adonai. And what a beautiful name for the Lord. Adonai means master controller. It means owner. It means that we look to the Lord as the owner of everything about our life, including the very days that are held in his hands. Do you view the Lord that way? He's saying, oh God, el strong one. I say of you, Yahweh, you're my personal God. You're the God I call upon. You're the God that I love. You're the God that I know. You are Adonai. You are the owner of everything. You're my creator. You're my master. Isn't that so beautiful? You know, we do the same in our English language. How often do we say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? It's talking about the same thing but different meanings, right? Just because he is a savior doesn't necessarily mean he's the Lord of your life. You got to make him the Lord of your life and he's not going to be your savior unless he's Lord. It's no different than what David is doing right here. Oh God, El, Lord Yahweh, Lord Adonai. I think that's quite beautiful when you break it down and you understand it. And what did David say? He said, apart from you, there's nothing good in me. Doesn't James chapter 1 teach? Does it not say that every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord? If God, now say amen if you're with me right now. Don't miss this. If you really see the Lord as Adonai in your life. I mean, he's the owner. He is everything. And he has everything. Then can you not see how easy it is to confess, God, every good thing I have is a gift from you, Adonai. Amen. But many of us in this culture, we don't see every good thing as a gift from God. Many of us see it as, I did that. I worked for that. I earned that. That is what I have accomplished. No, my friends, you and I should humble ourselves, and we should realize that any success we have, any accomplishments we gain, anything in this life that is good is a gift from Yahweh Adonai. Amen. Amen. It just shapes our perception. It shapes the way we should view God and life. Now, David is going to transition. Now, watch this. He goes from the vertical view, which is his relationship with the Lord in verses 1 and 2, to now the horizontal view, which is his relationship with others. So look what he says in verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. But look at verse 4. When it comes to the wicked, when it comes to the unrighteous, look what he says of them. Their sorrows are going to multiply Their sorrows are going to increase. David says, I'll have nothing to do with the blood they spill. I'll have nothing to do with them. Their names will not even come upon my lips. In other words, David is drawing a clear distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the godly and the worldly. Now, why is that so important? I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. How do you get into the presence of God? How do you walk in this fullness of joy that is found only in the presence of God? How do you do it? The presence of God is found in godly things. The presence of God is found around godly people. That's what I want you to understand this morning. You're not going to find the presence of God in worldly things. You're not going to find the presence of God in flesh and things that are cardinal. Things that are against the spirit. Things that are worldly. You're not going to find God's presence in those things. Therefore, you will not find joy in those things. David makes a clear distinction. Look what he says. He says, my delight is being around godly people. In other words, I love to be around the things of God. And David knew what he was talking about. Wasn't it David who wrote, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere? Wasn't it David who said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord? Wasn't it David who said, I would rather dwell in the house of the Lord than in the tents of the wicked? David knew exactly what he was talking about. And David says, I walk in the presence of God. I am in the fullness of joy. Why? Because I'm around godly things and godly people. And when it comes to unrighteousness, I have nothing to do with it. Is that where your life is? Do you draw a line between worldliness and godliness? Friends, I'll say it as clear as I know how to say it. The presence of God is found in godly things. So when it comes to not church. No, 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 no. <laughs> not in here. I'm talking at home. Are you around godly things? When it comes to your life. When it comes to those friendships. When it comes to the environments that you spend most of your time in, is it godly or is it worldly? If you want the presence of God, you want the fullness of joy, if you want to long for God as the deer pants for the waters, then friends, you must choose godly things. You must. And like David, you must draw a clear distinction between what is worldly and what is godly, and you must pursue those things that are godly. David is saying, listen, I'll choose godly people. You know, uh, it's been well said. People impact you. And people impact me. And people are either going to deplete you or they are going to complete you. Who do you have in your life? Are they people who deplete you or are they people who complete you in Christ? You know, Peter... When he was in his most backslidden state, when he was in his most backslidden circumstance, do you remember where Peter found himself? He found himself in the courtyard, warming his hands by the fire with unbelievers. Listen, precious friends, I'm not throwing stones at you. I'm telling you, pastorally, I'm telling you, as your shepherd, There's many of you that right now, you're warming your your hands by the fire of unbelievers. And you're in fellowship. You're connected with unbelievers to the point. You've lost your witness. You've lost your righteousness. You've lost your desire to truly run after the presence of God. You need to do like David did in this text and say, As for the saints in the land... Put me right beside them. And as for the wicked, I'll have nothing to do with them. What a clear distinction. The point is, when we get our vertical relationship straight, when we get our vertical relationship right, so our horizontal relationships are going to straighten out as well. Make sense to everyone? Now, let's dig deeper. Verse 5. Oh, this is where it gets really good. Look what David says. So he's he's went from explaining his relationship with God to his relationship with others and now look what he now he's really going to confess the contentment that he finds in God alone. Look what he says. You are my chosen portion. My cup. <laughs> you hold my lot. Oh, I love this verse. It's become one of my favorite verses in the Bible this week. I have feasted off of this. I have ate. I'm telling you, it has been like a it has been the prime rib of the scriptures for me this week. And I have savored every bite. Listen to what he says. You are my portion. Now, in the scriptures, a portion can mean one of two things. Either it can mean food as in rations or your daily provisions, or it can mean an estate, an inheritance. I believe David's referring to both here. I think in verse 5, he's speaking of our daily provisions. In verse 6, he's speaking of an estate. An inheritance. So look what he says. You are my chosen portion, my cup. I think he's talking about daily provisions. But then he says something, and I really appreciate this phrase. You hold my lot. You hold my lot. In other words, you control every circumstance. My life is in your hands. Now that is an amazing thought. Many of you walked with me when my eyesight began to rapidly, rapidly deteriorate. You were with me and you prayed with me and you prayed for me as I rapidly lost sight to the point where I could see nothing what a comfort it is to be able to go back to the scripture and say the lord holds my lot what a comfort it is he's my portion he's my cup what i'm learning is whether i have eyes or i don't have eyes it doesn't change the goodness of god it doesn't change his faithfulness it doesn't change his sovereignty He holds my law. And you know what Satan would do for us? He would try to lie to us and he would try to say, oh, your lot in life could be so much better. Your lot in life could be so different. Oh, if you had just married somebody different, if you had better education, your life would be different. If you earned more money, your life would be better. If you had better opportunities, you would enjoy your life more and he'll dangle all of these things out in front of you and he'll try to get you He'll try to convince you that your life could be so much more better. But no. See, when you're laser focused and you realize, no, the Lord is my chosen portion. Not where I live or not what I earn, not what I can gain or even what I can lose. The Lord is my chosen portion and he's my cup. In other words, he's more than enough. He's really all that I need. Amen. He's my daily portion. He's my daily ration. He's my daily provision. And really, in truth, he is all that I need in life. And everything else that I worry about, that I stress about, that I question about, that I get confused about, that I get anxious about, everything else, you know what? The Lord holds my lot. Amen. Verse 6. He's going to go deeper into contentment. Then he says, The lines have fallen pleasantly for me. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, is it all right if I just teach for a moment? Oh, this is changing my life right now. I'm telling you, I am feasting upon this daily. What does it mean? The lions have fallen pleasantly for me. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is referring back to Israel when God divided the land for all the tribes of Israel. And do you know what David is saying? David is saying, the Lord has been good to me. He's gracious to me. What he allots for me is good. It is pleasant and it is beautiful. Let me ask you a question. Would pleasant and beautiful be words that you use to describe your life right now? Would you use the words pleasant and beautiful to describe your lot in life right now? I'll tell you, most people wouldn't. Most people are not thankful for what they have. Most people are not thankful for who they're married to. Most people aren't thankful for the home God's given them. Most people aren't thankful for the health they have. They're not thankful for the job that they have. You know it's true, right? And listen, what God wants to do through the scriptures today is he wants to adjust our attitude. He wants to give us a new perspective to where now we look and we say, Oh no, God's my portion. God's my cup. He's so good to me. Listen, my lot in life is pleasant and beautiful. And I'm not going to fall for this lie. I'm not going to go for that, for that bait That, no, my life would be better if it was different. Oh, what a lie from Satan. So let me ask a better question. Now say amen if you're with me right now. Let me ask a better question. Rather than asking, is your life, would you use the words pleasant and beautiful to describe your life? Let me ask it this way. Would you use the words pleasant and beautiful to describe your attitude? To describe your outlook, let me tell you a very true statement in Christianity. Your outlook will always determine your outcome. And if your outlook isn't pleasant and your outlook isn't beautiful in the plans of God, then your outcome's not gonna be that. Your attitude will always determine your altitude, it will determine how high you go and how far you go. So when I think about my lot, when I think about the boundaries God has allotted for me, I want my attitude to be, it's good. God's plans for me are pleasant, and they are beautiful. Do you see why there's fullness of joy in the presence of God? Pleasant and beautiful. I want those words to describe my attitude in life. Verse 7. You getting anything out of this today? Verse 7. He says, I'll bless the Lord who gives me counsel. (laughs) Now, there's a direct result here. Where's David getting all his counsel from? Where do you get all your counsel? I, I, I would dare say that a lot of you get your counsel from the wrong people. Now, is it okay if I just talk plain for a moment? I'm not going to hurt your feelings, am I? You're tough, aren't you? are tough are not you you got tough skin, right? And if I do hurt your feelings, I can't see you. <laughs> so it, so uh, it hurting your feelings ain't going to hurt my feelings because I can't see it. So it's alright if I just talk plain for a minute. Some of you are not getting your counsel from God because you're getting your counsel from wicked people. You need to turn Facebook off. You need to stop asking everybody what you should do. You need to stop listening to idiots who will tell you, well, God just wants you happy and you just need to follow your heart. You're going to go, listen, you're going to walk right into destruction. Don't listen to ungodly counsel. Draw a line and say, I'm going to have nothing to do with worldly people. And I don't care if that's your cousin. I don't care if that's your mama. I don't care who it is. Have nothing to do with the counsel. Take your counsel from the Lord. Amen. What does James 1 say? If anyone asks, if anyone lacks in wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it with liberty, who gives it generously. God, listen, God will give you all the wisdom you need in life. You don't need to go to other people. You don't need to ask people who don't know the Lord. You don't need to go to people who's lost as a ball in high weeds and say, well, what do you think I should do? They don't know. Amen. Take your counsel from the Lord. Well, that's good preaching, Chad. Amen. I'll amen myself on that. But you know why people don't take counsel from God? You know Why? Because God will tell you hard things. God will tell you things you don't want to (laughs) hear. Is that right or wrong? Now let me prove it to you biblically. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my heart instructs me. You know what the root of that word instruct is? Chasten. Discipline. (laughs) God ever chasten you? Oh, I hope so. You know why? Because he chastens those whom he loves. Can the Lord chasten you? Can he discipline you? It's the disciplines of the Lord that often bring the greatest counsel from the Lord. Now, oh boy, isn't this just good scripture? Now watch how it's going to stack here. Well, let me not get lost here. Where am I? Verses 1 and 2, that's the vertical, right? It's the relationship with the Lord. You get that right? Things are going to straighten out from there. Then verses 3 4 is the horizontal. That's my relationship with others. I'm going to choose righteous people, godly people. I'm going to reject worldliness. And then verse 5 Because the Lord is my portion and my cup. Because he's daily my provision and everything that I need. I'm going to be okay with my lot in life because he holds it in his hand. So what's the result of that? Well, I look around my life and I say the boundaries are pleasant for me. What God has deemed good for me. What God has chosen to entrust me with. What God has given to me, I'm quite content. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So instead of complaining and wishing and nothing's ever enough, I'm never satisfied, I'm never happy, I'm never content. Oh, let me tell you, friends, that's not the will of God for you. Instead, I'm going to walk around life with a pleasant and a beautiful attitude. Why? Because the Lord's my portion. I live in the presence of the Lord. And what's that produce? Fullness of joy in my life. Whew. Amen. Now, where am I? Verse 8. Refresh me. What's verse 8 say? The Lord yes. Now, now, watch this. Watch how it stacks. Watch how just like a puzzle, it just, the pieces just fit. If I take counsel from the Lord... And I'm not running to unrighteous people asking them what to do. But my counsel comes from the Lord. Then what's the result? Verse number 8. The Lord is always before me. I have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I can come before his throne and find grace and help in any moment of need. The Lord is always before me. Amen. And what's the result of the Lord always being before me? Because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Oh, let me tell you, my friends, I want a faith that cannot be shaken. I want a joy that cannot be shaken. I want a contentment about me. I want a peace about me that no matter what Satan throws in my way, nothing will shake my faith. Nothing whatsoever. I want Satan to get so mad and frustrated and say, we've tried everything we know to try, and nothing will shake his faith. Amen? How do you get there? You keep the Lord before you. You take counsel from the Lord and the Lord alone. And what happens? Because he's at our right hand. In other words, because he's our strong help. What is he? God, verse 1, the strong one. L, the strong one. Because he is the Lord Yahweh, because he is the Lord Adonai, because he is master, he is Lord, he is owner of everything about me. He's become my portion, he's become my cup, he's become my inheritance. He is everything, then he's always before me. And that means nothing in life can shake me. If that's the case, then look at verse 9. Oh, come on, Chad. Get the download. Ah, oh, Thank you, Brett. Therefore. Oh, I love the therefores of the Bible. When I had eyesight, I would never begin at a therefore. If I started in a verse that said therefore, I would stop and I would go backward because there's a reason it's there. Therefore is always a conclusion verse. Uh, it's cheesy, but a good exercise is to say, what is the therefore therefore?" Because it's there on purpose. So it's good to just stop and go, uh-oh, oh, I missed something. Let's go back and see what it says. Because what he's doing is he's drawing the argument to a close. He's saying, based on everything that was just said, here's the point. So now look what David says. See, the fact is, you live long enough, you know things will try to shake you, right? You live long enough, you know circumstances come into our life. You live long enough, you have to choose to say, my lot in life is pleasant. Because sometimes you don't feel that way. See, what I'm talking to you about, brothers and sisters, is not positive thinking. You know what positive thinking will do? Positive thinking is like spiritual steroids. It'll pump you up for just a little bit, but then you're gonna crash and you're gonna burn. I'm not giving you positive thinking. I'm talking about faith. And when you get it right, the results are real. When you get it right, the results are solid. And look at the results in David's life. David says in verse nine, therefore, my heart is made glad. Therefore, <clears throat> I am glad in my heart and my whole being rejoices. Let me tell you, that's not spiritual steroids. That's not optimism. That's not, that's not thinking positively. That's faith. And, and then look what he says. Oh, I, oh, what, it, what an appreciation I have for this verse. Then he says, my whole being rejoices, my heart is glad, and he says, my flesh dwells securely. What a verse. Let me tell you, you got issues in your body today? You got health issues you're trying to get a handle on? This would be a great verse for you to stand on. My flesh dwells securely. That's a great word from the word. Amen? There are times I counsel with many people. There are times that things go haywire in our bodies. And there are times that anxieties will come on you. And there are times that you feel certain things. And, oh, goodness, it, it brings such fear. It brings such things like that. No. You need to go, no, 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 no. My flesh will dwell securely in the Lord. So look at the progression. Look at how it stacks. Because my relationship is right with the Lord, my relationship is right with other people. And because of that, the Lord's my portion and my cup, he's my daily provisions, he is my provider. Because of that, I'm not worried about my lot in life. He holds my lot in life. Because of that, my boundaries are pleasant, my inheritance is beautiful, and therefore my attitude is pleasant. And therefore, my outlook is beautiful. Do you see how it all stacks upon each other, brothers and sisters? That now, because the Lord is ever before me, and because I'm taking His counsel, because He's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now, what's that going to do to me even physically? Well, my heart's going to be glad. My entire being is going to rejoice in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, all, everything in my being, all that is within me, bless His holy name. To the point even my flesh dwells securely. Now, verse number 10, look what he says. He will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Do you see what he's saying, church? He's saying, I take my counsel from God. He's ever before me. I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken physically because my flesh dwells securely. My heart is glad. My entire being rejoices in him. And guess what? I'm not going to be shaken spiritually because he's not going to abandon my soul. God has redeemed me. He's my portion. He's my God. He's my Adonai, both physically and physically. And with my soul. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. Amen. Then he gives a messianic prophecy. Speaking of the Lord Jesus. He says your holy one will not seek decay or corruption. Now was David speaking? Did he know he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't think so. Because Peter wrote that the prophets of the Old Testament. And he calls David a prophet. Says that they... They did not understand. It was the mystery of God hidden in the ages. But when Peter preached a sermon in the book of Acts, he referenced this to prove the resurrection of Jesus. He was speaking prophetically of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, lastly, verse 11, this is where I begin to close. Now, do you see how it all ties together? If God's my portion, if he's my provider, if he's my lot in life, if he's everything and I'm not shaken and I'm okay physically, I'm okay spiritually. Now look what he says. You teach me the path of life. Do you see why it's the path of life? (laughs) In your presence, there's fullness of joy. Do you see why there's fullness of joy there in his presence? And then look what he says. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, now, friends, he's talking about eternity. See, he's saying physically, I'm okay but listen, everybody's going to die at one point. At some point, every person will die. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying, even in death, God is not going to abandon my soul. While I live on this earth, listen, I'm secure until that appointed day. Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed unto man to die once and after this the judgment. I'm okay until that day. But when that day comes, God's not going to abandon my soul. And after that day comes, then guess what? In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forever. Eternity. You know what that tells me, church? The Bible says there's pleasure in sin only for a season. Don't trade the forever pleasures of God for a temporary pleasure for sin. Do you remember Jacob and Esau? Do you remember how Jacob was the chef and Esau was the hunter? And Esau comes home one day and he smells a bow of stew. And his brothers cooking that stew. And Esau's so hungry, he asked Jacob, what will you give me for it? What what, what can I give you for it? Jacob says. Remember what he says? Your inheritance. Satan tells us the same thing. And you know what Esau did that day? He traded his eternal inheritance for one temporary bowl of stew. Hear me today. That affair will grow old. That sin that you're choosing will one day cool, just like that bowl of stew will grow cold. Your pleasure in sin will one day grow stale and cold. Don't trade the eternal pleasures of God for one temporary pleasure of sin. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.